This is the London Visited Podcast on your favourite podcast provider, bringing to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you have been to London, are planning on visiting, live here or just love London from afar, then this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Steve and welcome to our podcast. We're here for all things London and to tell you more behind some of the iconic places and people in London's history. In this episode, we go back to Wimbledon for our third and final part to look at the tennis championships. Don't forget to visit and subscribe to our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering so many places across London. Also, if you love the podcast and the channel, why not join us as a member? Join our group of what we like to call our London Visited Crown Jewels where there are many different benefits, including a members-only monthly podcast. Have a look by going to patreon.com forward slash London Visited. And now to this week's podcast. The majority of centre and show court tickets sold to the general public have since 1924 been made available by a public ballot that the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club holds at the start of the year. The ballot has always been substantially oversubscribed. Successful applicants are selected at random by a computer. The most recent figures from 2011 suggested that there were four applicants for every ballot ticket. Applications must be posted to arrive at the AELTC by the last day of December in the year prior to the tournament. Seats and days are allocated randomly and ballot tickets aren't transferable. The All England Club, through its subsidiary, the All England Lawn Tennis Ground PLC, issues debentures to tennis fans every five years to raise funds for capital expenditure. Fans who invest thus in the club receive a pair of tickets for every day of the Wimbledon Championships for the five years the investment lasts. Only debenture holders are permitted to sell on their tickets to third parties and demand for debentures has increased in recent years, to such an extent that they were even traded on the London Stock Exchange. Wimbledon and the French Open are the only Grand Slam tournaments where fans without tickets for play can queue up and still get seats on the three show courts on the day of the match. Sequentially numbered queue cards were introduced in 2003. From 2008, there's a single queue allotted about 500 seats for each court. When they join the queue, fans are handed queue cards. Anyone then who wishes to leave the queue temporarily, even if in possession of a queue card, must agree their position with the others nearby in the queue and or a steward. To get access to the show courts, fans normally have to queue overnight. This is done by fans from all over the world and, although considered vagrancy, it's a part of the Wimbledon experience in itself. The All England Club allows overnight queuing and provides toilet and water facilities for campers. Early in the morning, when the line moves towards the grounds, Stewards walk along in line and hand out wristbands that are colour-coded to a specific court. The wristband and payment is exchanged at the ticket office for the ticket when the grounds open. General admission to the grounds gives access to the outer courts and is possible without queuing overnight. Tickets returned by people leaving early go on sale at 2.30pm and the money goes to charity. Queuing for the show courts ends after the quarterfinals have been completed. At 2.40pm on day 7, Monday the 28th of June of the 2010 Championships, the 1 millionth numbered Wimbledon cue card was handed out to Rose Stanley from South Africa. Unlike other tournaments, advertising from major brands is minimal and low-key for its suppliers such as IBM, Rolex and Slazenger. Wimbledon is notable for the longest-running sponsorship in sports history, 
due to its association with Slazenger, who have supplied all tennis boards for the tournament since 1902. Between 1935 and 2021, Wimbledon had a sponsorship deal with Robertson's Fruit Squash, one of the longest sponsorships in sport. Strawberries and cream are traditionally eaten by spectators at Wimbledon and have become culturally synonymous with the tournament. The story behind this tradition is about when King Henry VIII visited Cardinal Thomas Wolseley. Wolseley's home was at Hampton Court, about 10 miles from Wimbledon. The rumour is that the Chancellor's cook served wild strawberries and cream as a dessert while the king was there. Since the king ate it, the dessert gained popularity. In 2017, fans consumed 34,000 kilograms, 33 imperial tons of British strawberries and 10,000 litres, 2,200 imperial gallons of cream. In 2019, 191,930 portions of strawberries and cream were served at the championships at Wimbledon. Until 2011, when its contract ended, Radio Wimbledon could be heard within a five-mile radius on 87.7 FM and also online. It operated under a restricted service license. Presented included Sam Lloyd and Ali Barton, and typically they worked an alternate four-hour shifts until the end of the last match of the day. Reporters and commentators include Gigi Salmon, Nick Lester, Rupert Bell, Nigel Benmo, Guy Swindles, and others. Often, they reported from the Crow's Nest, an elevated building housing the number three and number four court scoreboards, which affords views of most of the outside courts. Regular guests include Sue Maplin. In later years, Radio Wimbledon acquired a second low-powered FM frequency within the grounds only of 96.3 FM for uninterrupted centre court commentary, and from 2006, a third for coverage from court number one on 97.8 FM. Hourly news bulletins and travel using RDS were also broadcast. Beginning with the 2018 tournament, an in-house operation known as Wimbledon Broadcasting Services, WBS, has served as the official host broadcaster of the tournament, replacing the BBC Sport. Since 1937, the BBC has broadcast the tournament on television in the United Kingdom. Between 1956 and 1968, the championships were also covered by the ITV network. But since 1969, the BBC has had a monopoly. The matches covered are primarily split between its two main terrestrial channels, BBC One and BBC Two, and their red button service. This can result in live matches being moved across all three channels. The BBC holds the broadcast rights for Wimbledon until 2027. During the days of British satellite broadcasting, its sports channel carried extra coverage of Wimbledon for its subscribers. One of the most notable British commentators was Dan Maskell, who was known as the BBC's voice of tennis until his retirement in 1991. John Barrett succeeded him in that role until he retired in 2006. Current commentators working for the BBC at Wimbledon include British ex-players Andrew Castle, John Lloyd, Tim Henman, Greg Rosetsky, Samantha Smith and Mark Pedgey. Tennis legends such as John McEnroe, Tracy Austin, Boris Becker and Lindsay Davenport and general sports commentators including David Mercer, Barry Davis, Andrew Cotter and Nick Mullins. The coverage has been previously presented by Sue Barker, Claire Boulding, Gez Lynham, David Vine, John Infidel and Harry Carpenter. The Wimbledon finals are obliged to be shown live and full on terrestrial television, BBC television service, ITV, Channel 4 or Channel 5 by a government mandate. Highlights of the rest of the tournament must be provided by terrestrial stations. 
live coverage except in the finals, may be sought by satellite or cable TV. The BBC was forced to apologise after many viewers complained about over-talking by its commentary team during the TV coverage of the event in 2011. It said in a statement that views on commentary were subjective, but they do appreciate that over-talking can irritate our audience. The BBC added that it hoped it had achieved the right balance across its coverage and was of course sorry if on occasion you have not been satisfied. Tim Henman and John McEnroe were among the ex-players commentating. Wimbledon was also involved in a piece of television history when, on the 1st of July 1967, the first official colour television broadcast took place in the UK. Four hours of live coverage of the 1967 championships was shown on BBC Two, which was the first television channel in Europe to regularly broadcast in colour. Footage of that historic match no longer survives. However, the gentlemen's final of that year is still held in the BBC archives because it was the first gentlemen's final transmitted in colour. The tennis balls used were traditionally white, but were switched to yellow in 1986 to make them stand out for colour television. Since 2007, Wimbledon matches have been transmitted in high definition, originally on the BBC's free-to-air channel BBC HD, with continual live coverage during the tournament of Centre Court and Court One, as well as the evening highlights show today at Wimbledon. Coverage is now shown on BBC One and BBC Two's HD feeds. Beginning in 2018, all centre court matches are televised in 4K ultra-high definition. The BBC's opening theme for Wimbledon was composed by Keith Mansfield and is titled Light and Tuneful. A piece titled A Sporting Occasion is the traditional closing theme. The final notes of this theme are regularly used to end the BBC One and BBC Two Wimbledon transmissions. For the end of the broadcast at the conclusion of the tournament, a montage set to popular music is traditionally used instead. Mansfield also composed the piece World Champion, used by NBC during intervals, changeovers, set breaks, etc. at the close of broadcasts throughout the tournament. The gentleman's single champion is presented with a silver gilt cup, 18.5 inches, about 47 centimeters in height, and 7.5 inches, about 19 centimeters in diameter. The trophy has been awarded since 1887 and bears the inscription All England Lawn Tennis Club Single-Handed Championship of the world. The actual trophy remains the property of the All England Club in their museum, so the champion receives a three-quarter size replica of the cup, bearing the names of all the past champions, height 13.5 inches, 34 centimeters. The lady singles champion is presented with a sterling silver salver, commonly known as the Venus Rosewater Dish, or simply Rosewater Dish. The salver, which is 18.75 inches, about 48 centimeters in diameter, is decorated with figures from mythology. The actual dish remains the property of the All England Club in their museum, so the champion receives a miniature replica bearing the names of all past champions. From 1949 to 2006, the replica was 8 inches in diameter, and since 2007, it has been a three-quarter size replica with a diameter of 13.5 inches. The winner of the gentlemen's doubles, ladies' doubles and mixed doubles events receives silver cups. A trophy is awarded to each player in the doubles pair, unlike other Grand Slam tournaments where the winning double duo shares a single trophy. The Gentlemen's Doubles Silver Challenge Cup was originally from the Oxford University Lawn Tennis Club and donated to the All England Club in 1884. The Ladies' Doubles Trophy, a silver cup and cover known as the Duchess of Kent Challenge Cup, 
was presented to the All England Club in 1949 by the Duchess of Kent. The mixed doubles trophy is a silver challenge cup and cover presented to the All England Club by the family of two-time Wimbledon doubles winner Sidney Smith. The runner-up in each event receives an inscribed silver plate. The trophies are usually presented by the president of the All England Club, the Duke of Kent. Prize money was first awarded in 1968, the year that professional players were allowed to compete in the championships for the first time. Total prize money was £26,150. The winner of the men's title earned £2,000, while the women's singles champion received £750. In money as of 2018, £2,000 as of 1968 equals £34,600. In 2007, Wimbledon and the French Open became the last Grand Slam tournaments to award unequal prize money to women and men. In 2009, a total of £12.5 million in prize money was awarded, with the singles champions receiving £850,000 each, an increase of 13.3% on 2008. In 2010, total prize money increased to £13,725,000, and the singles champions received £1 million each. A further increase of 6.4% in 2011 resulted in a total prize money amount of £14.6 million. Both male and female singles champions' prize money increased to £1.1 million, a rise of 10%. The bulk of the increases were given to players losing in earlier rounds. This move was in response to the growing angst among lower-ranked players concerning the inadequacy of their pay. Sergei Stakowski, a member of the ATP Player Council and who was at the time ranked 68th, was among the most vocal in the push for higher pay for players to bow out in the earlier rounds. In an interview with him, he intimated that it is not uncommon for lower-ranked players to be in the negative for certain tour events if their results are not stellar. This issue gained the attention of the men's big four, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, Andy Murray and Rafael Nadal, as well as the championships. In 2013, total prize money was further increased by about 40% from 2012 to £22.56 million. The losers in the earlier rounds of the tournament saw the highest 62% increase in their pay, while the total prize money of the doubles increased by 22%. The prize money for participants for the qualifying matches also saw an increase of 41%. The money has increased year on year, and in 2022, the tournament was played with a full capacity and a crowd for the first time since 2019, and the total prize money increased by 15.23%, to a record £40,350,000, the ladies and gentlemen singles champions each receiving £2 million, an increase of 17.65% from 2021. So I hope you've enjoyed our look at Wimbledon and our three-part series on it. And of course, it takes part every summer at the Wimbledon Tennis Championships. If you'd like to make contact with us or suggest any places that you'd like us to feature in future podcasts, you can let me know through our website, londonvisited.co.uk, or our social media. It really is that easy. Thanks for listening, and really hope you've enjoyed our podcast, and we'll see you soon for the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe to get more shows direct to your device. Also, why not visit our London Visited YouTube channel to get even more of London. Catch you soon on the next one. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.